Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of From the Grandstand. Today, we're looking at supercars, we're looking at the Women's Premier League, some other cricket, and we're also looking at what was come, what's to come in this month of April. We're going to fire through, through plenty because there's a lot to get through because we've got two rounds of supercar action, and by golly, we're already behind. Who, who would have thought about that? Joining me, I've got Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. Yes, this is a packed show. No time to dilly down. Let's get straight into it, shall we? Let's get straight into it. Let's start with supercars. Gen 3, Chris. Gen 3. We've had two rounds now. How do we feel? Are we good? Are we? Do we feel good about it? Do we feel bad about it? Or is it still too close to call? I think the jury is still out somewhat for a couple of reasons. One, yep. Newcastle. We'll talk about Newcastle later, but Newcastle didn't really show what these cars are truly capable of because of the nature of the circuit and the nature of the racing there. Yep. And the Grand Prix round at Albert Park was a mess for a number of reasons. And I don't think we could get a proper form guide yet on how the cars compare. Uh, I know some Ford teams are really making not quiet noises about parody. Ford teams are idiots. Four teams are also shithouse at the moment, so we, I don't like to read too much into it right yeah. at the moment. I think that's fair. Um, what I will say, though, on Gen 3, the cars look cool, man. The cars look cool. They, they sound cool. They look cool. They sound cool. They're everything they thought we thought they would be in that department. They just they really stand out on track. I think the Corvette, or not Corvette, the, uh, the Camaro. Camaros look, yeah, they look so amazing on track. It, they look pretty tough, and I think that's part of it is the novelty of it, because we don't have the Camaro in Australia. Funny that, who would have thought that making a car, like making your car look like a car that hasn't even ever been sold in Australia would be a great idea. And as well, how about making a car uh, for your race series that you then discontinue after one round of actual racing? Oh, the commercial decisions, I swear. But, like, no doom and gloom. We knew that was going to happen. That's fine. The cars look cool, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, the cars look fantastic. And the Mustang looks... I think the Camaros look so much better than the Mustangs. The, the uh, Tickford Mustangs, oh, the uh, DJR Mustangs in particular. They look a bit oh, lame? I had... They just look a bit... Um, I don't know. I, I, especially in the first round, I struggled a bit to tap them apart from the previous generation Mustang. Well, I mean, it didn't help that they used the same friggin' livery. They literally just control C, control V. You know, there you go. There were that's true. Less less effort than the Morgan design department. <laughs> if anyone remembers the Morgan sports cars project from was, like the early two thousands, I was I was going to say less effort effort than the nine eleven designer. Hey, that's absolutely not true, and you know how I feel about that. <laughs> Uh, why I said it. Yeah, so I think there's still a lot of good things uh, to be encouraged by, but we don't really have a good idea at the moment. What I will say, the racing uh, through what racing we did get to see at the Australian Grand Prix in particular, of the side-by-side oh. stuff through the, the tight section. Hello, Phoebe. Um, oh. that, was, that was pretty sick. Oh, there was that section, in, was it race two or race three? I can't remember which one it was, where they're basically two by two by two by two, two so two by four. Around the back, doing maximum velocity, going through a corner. And I just looked at them going, yep, I think we've got the package right for this particular moment. Yeah. And, and yeah. It looked phenomenal. 
It looks it looks good. Um, few issues with the car that have popped up. Um, firstly, it looks like the cars are lacking a little bit of robustness. Um, we saw Cam Waters yeah. attack the wall and break a, a really severely break a steering arm at Newcastle. The, we had the fires, which we'll talk a bit more about uh, with Percat and Courtney at the Grand Prix. Um, you know, the cars look a little fragile. Well, Sorry, they don't look fragile. They look tough as anything, but they are a bit fragile. Um, the fact that Courtney's already missed two rounds of two races because of accident damage that couldn't be repaired is a bit. Eh. It's a bit on the nose, mm. but this will happen when you don't crash test your vehicles. You're gonna find out. Oh, okay, maybe we've done designed this slightly wrong. Like NASCAR had the same issue with their latest generation, and they had to put a lot of work into. You know, making it tough and making it stronger. Yeah, they'll get they'll get that right. And if you look at Brad Jones' channel on YouTube, for example, Brad Jones Racing, he's really good at the moment of explaining what the changes are, where some deficiencies are, and what they're working on fixing. Yeah, on the track for the next future rounds. Yeah, they just had a video today looking at uh, the under tray of the front and the rear clip, which were both damaged mm. uh, at the at the Grand Prix. So yeah. It's cool that it's cool that Brad Jones in particular and a lot of the teams have their own YouTube channels where they're sharing these sort of things. No, especially Brad, he's been around for donkey's years, and he's if anyone deserves to be listened to when it comes to this, this sort of stuff, it's him because yeah. he damages that many cars. <laughs> Oof. Also, also again, I, he's been around for years. I, I saw that coming, and it still took me by surprise. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, championship, championship standings at the moment after two rounds are with Brody Kostecki on top after a good showing, particularly at the Grand Prix. Uh, then Chaz Mostert, and then Shane Van Gisbergen. So already back into second after their disqualification in the first race of the season. Uh, you know, Camaro, uh, I almost said Falcon. Camaro, Mustang, Camaro. Uh, a few you got to go a bit further down to find the next Mustang, which is Cam Waters. But based on like Newcastle, we saw five of each in the top ten shootout. We saw both types of car show strength. Um, in both types of races, it just seems to me, uh, Chris, that the teams running the the Mustangs, funnily enough, doing a bad job of it. Um, I think the parity is pretty well yeah. on point. Yeah. Uh, the only standout four teams at the moment have been Walkinshaw with one of their cars. Which is a uh, typical Walkinshaw problem. Gosh damn. Yes. The other, Nick Burkett has also had every black cat in the universe on his path the last month. That's true. Um, Grove are probably the next best four team. And Tickford are nowhere. DJR at the moment are struggling as well. DJR at the moment are especially nowhere, which is a serious mm. surprise considering, you know, the fact that they are DJR. They're the ones who built the cars in the first place. That, to me, is particularly surprising. You, you would think that they would have figured out how to run the cars when they built the damn things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, so that's where we are at in terms of Gen 3 at the moment. So our, our conclusion is jury's still out. Let's talk about some of the drama that's happened because this has had more drama than, you know, a soap opera or an episode of Drive to Survive. Um, firstly, we come to Newcastle. Red Bull Racing do what they do best, which is win races because, funnily Ooh. enough, a good race team win races. Flash headline right there. Um, one, two finish for Red Bull. Uh, Gizzy from Feeney. Then we get a protest with the cars uh, being pinged for a additional cooling system for the driver placed in an incorrect and non-homologated 
uh, position. Firstly, I don't know how you can have a non-homologated position when the cars aren't even properly damn homologated, but that's another issue. Uh, secondly, their punishment for this infraction was disqualification from the race. Firstly, Chris, mm-hmm. their punishment. Fair, not fair, why? Well, the problem is, it's a technical directive. And every motorsport we've ever seen, unless you're IMSA, technical <laughs> directive broken, you're out of the race. Yeah. I To, to everyone who is bleating on every social media platform that the penalty is too harsh for trying to add another cooling box, if you are outside the technical specifications of the series, you are non-compliant, you get disqualified. Like, yeah. And they and the stewards said as much in their report. They said, in line with every motorsport that exists that isn't called NASCAR or IMSA, the breach of technical the technical documentation means disqualification from their race. So the penalty, yeah. I I agree, penalty is not too harsh. Uh, the process to get to that though uh, seems to stem from a miscommunication between uh, Re- Jamie Winkup who's the team principal and Adrian Burgess, who's the, um, the motorsport Australia or the supercars, uh, head of motorsport. So the guy who basically like works with the teams to make the cars and stuff. not that, not does that. What am I trying to say here? Adrian Burgess, describe his job in like a, a sentence. He enables the teams to run the cars in the best manner possible. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Basically, because Gen 3 has been taking so long to actually get together, uh, the processes for getting changes to the cars onto the cars from a technical standpoint, from like a technical regulatory standpoint, had kind of been shortcut, which meant that instead of, you know, going through proper documentation, having everything changed to the car documented, so that way it would be legal, there was a, a a period of time wherein the teams, the homologation teams, Red Bull and DJR, could just make changes with the approval of the technical director without that approval in writing. And it appears that Winkup thought he had approval without that approval in writing, and Burgess said he didn't give that approval. So, like, what are your thoughts on that as a as a as a way to go about homologating race cars? Well, as someone who works in these, who has worked in that sort of industry in the past and having to deal with that sort of stuff from teams all the time, I shake my head in disbelief that no one, once the season starts, everything should be in writing. As much as to cover your own backside more than anything. Yeah. These sort of situations from arising. So it absolutely mystifies me why Triple Eight didn't seek that in the first place. Such, such a professional outfit letting things go like that. If you think you've got approval, get it in writing. Even just as a paper trail. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um I tend to agree. It was different to the it was different to the uh to the parody testing and the setting up the cars where they didn't just make changes on the fly with approval. Because you're not racing those cars. You're trying to get them as good as you can and as fair as you can for the series. Once you're racing, different set of rules apply. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, yeah, it it seems dumb to me that like a team of Red Bull stature would shortcut like that at a race meet. Mm. Yeah, uh, I just also want to make a point. I saw a lot of commentary around, and by commentary I mean comments on social media around uh, the 
role of the scrutineers of the event and being uh, saying like you would think for a first race out like why would they have not checked all of this and isn't that their job etc etc um it's not their job it's 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 kind of not actually um so Mm. i I'll, i'll put my hand up and say immediately i'm not a scrutineer. My specialty in marshalling is not scrutineering. There is like a whole nother branch of marshalling that goes into that. Um, and I've done half a day of training in that as part of a new officials program five years ago now. Um, but from my experience and someone who's seen it happen but hasn't actually done it, is that a lot of scrutineering and pre-event scrutineering isn't really about making sure the car meets the technical regulations of the series. It is basically the competitor's responsibility to do that. A lot of the scrutineering that happens prior to the event is actually around making sure you have the correct safety gear, safety equipment, apparel, internal fire extinguishers, safety netting, all of those things. Um, because which quite frankly is what the marshal should be looking at they yeah. shouldn't be, even be concerned about anything technical yeah really like really it's the series job to make sure that or it's the competitor's job to make sure that the car is compatible with the series and it's the marshal's job to make sure that it's safe to drive well not, not necessarily that it's safe to drive but like you know they should be checking things that it's safe not that it complies if that makes sense yeah yeah make sure the roll cage isn't half missing and you're not racing a group b lancer rally car for example <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Group B Lancia around Newcastle? Oh, God. I kind of want to see it. Can you imagine, like, the drift <laughs> the drift turn at the top of the hill there? That'd be so sick. <laughs> like, Ken Block style. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, now I'm sad. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, I think we're in agreement. Red Bull broke the rules. They got the appropriate penalty. It sucks all around, right? Yes. I didn't like what happened the following day, though. Yes, let's go, go into that. So, the following day, funnily enough, again, good car race wins races. Uh, sorry, good car race team wins car races. Um, and then there was the whole fracker amongst the uh, the press conference and with SVG's comments and all that sort of stuff. Do you want to take us through the chain of events, Kiwi? Not really, because I completely tuned out when I realized he was going there. I'm just here so I don't get fined, Root. Okay, fair enough. Um, so... Yeah, basically, Shane Van Gisbergen did a Mashawn uh, Lynch. Is that is he he the guy that did it? Yeah, yeah. So yep. said, "I'm not. Uh, I did all my talking out on track. Thanks to the team. That's it." Um, he did that after the race in the, uh, the, the you know the, the where they park up on the grid and do that chat with Jesse Yates. He did that in the press conference. That little clip from him saying the same thing at the press conference and then Chaz, Chad Dalon rather pressing him and saying, you can't just say that That's, this is a press conference. Um, uh, that ended up getting broadcast on the Fox wrap-up with Yates, Tander and Scaife, uh, you know, doing their wrap-up of the event. Um, and Scaife absolutely tore into Van Gisbergen for it. Like, ripped him to shreds, saying that he's a bad ambassador, he shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you know, he people look up to him as the mm. champion of the series, and, you know, this series has made him into all this sort of, you know, this competitor and across the globe. We should, point to, we, we should point out at this point that Mark Schaefer is not just a commentator. He's heavily involved in Gen 3, heavily involved in the series as an administrator. So there's a conflict of interest there as well. Mm. Um, and it came out... You know, a few hours later, I want to point this out uh, because I think it was a great bit of 
good journalism, actually. Um, a, a writer for motorsport.com, which I know it's motorsport. Just stick with me here. Um, Was this Andrew? Andrew Van Loren's article, yes. Yeah, he's a, he's a great journal. He's a great journal. And I actually tweeted at him to say this is how, like, this is great journalism. He basically added extra context for what Shane was saying. And it was only it was only half an hour after those comments went to air that this article went out saying that uh making making the point that Shane was not alone and uh, some of the other drivers had been had felt that they were unable to be critical of the platform of Gen 3 um publicly because there was pressure from people involved in the Gen 3 process involved in supercars for them to to make it sound like Gen Three was this amazing thing, um, and you know, it came out that uh, Shane said to Reynolds in that conference, like you know, uh, like slightly that like I I uh, I tried to be honest and it went down the wrong way, so I'll just focus on my driving instead. And then Reynolds responded with, "Yeah, you know, we're, we've been told not to say anything bad about the cars." Which, like, what's your thoughts on that? Look, I can get it from a from a serious point of view, but at the same time, we want the drivers to express themselves. We want them to be not just boring robots in front of the camera when there's a speech on. We're not we're not running supercars G, GPT here. We want personality, and you know if they're not happy with the cars, they should be allowed to say it. And, like, and it's a serious responsibility to make them happy with the cars yeah. or make them happier. Exactly, and like uh, this, uh, you know, there's of course there's a line. Like you, you, Shane can't come out. Well, sorry, Shane shouldn't come out and say these cars are shit and I don't want to drive them. Like that's that. Like that's not what he's saying. But like he came out and said, you know, the the temperature shielding at the front of the car is not all that great. Can we do something to fix? Which was that? a legitimate concern. Yeah, exactly. And then you know he came out and said the the front tires are still overheating, so it's even though it's easier to follow in high the high downforce uh, sections, it's still not easy to follow. Generally, you still have to manage the tires. And like these are like their comments, right? These are the first race for a new platform, and they're you know they're legitimate comments. And so like I, I don't I I don't understand. Well, sorry, I do understand, but because I think they're just trying to cover their ass a bit too hard. But like if you want these drivers to have personality and be open to talking to the media, then you can't vilify them for their comments they make to the media. Like that that doesn't make sense. Exactly right. And uh, in the recent day, Shane Howard has come out and said, you know what, we want our drivers to speak their minds a bit. So hopefully they've realized, oh, we need to take a step back and just let them breathe a bit. Yeah. And like, especially, especially for someone who's as polarizing and has as bad a relationship with the media as Shane. And I don't mean that like Hmm. that he's, that he's like a a shit person that he's like talks to the media like shit, but like he doesn't really, he's he's a Kiwi. Hey, we don't speak me. much. Well, uh, but like, it's not that, it's not even that as well. Like, he's it's taken such a long time for him to be comfortable talking to the media because that's just not what mm. he's good at. He's good at driving cars. He's not good at talking to the media. And we've known that about Shane for his entire career. It's taken him so long to become more comfortable with doing that and with offering his thoughts and offering his opinions after the race. And then for to to like to cut it down like in that one moment is like it's that's. It's a bit shit. It's a lot shit, actually. Yeah, incredibly shit. Yeah, and then um, the the follow on from this is that Shane put up a big Facebook post the next day, um, sort of detailing his which side was, of the story, which was very well written, I must say. Oh, it was incredibly classy. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I think uh, I think the lion is like I'm not going to pretend it's all roses when it's not. Is you know that's that's a pretty good line to take. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So what like what happens next then for the relationship between the media and with the drivers? Like if if the drivers aren't going to be uh, like you said that um, Shane name <laughs> lion. <laughs> And uh, Shane Howard? Yeah, Shane Howard. You said that Shane Howard's come out and said that we want our drivers to feel be comfortable talking about it. Um, are we going to see more criticism of Gen 3 then, do you think, in the coming rounds? I think when we get to a proper round and not somewhere with supercars or the sideshow, so next is Wanneroo, yeah. Perth. Um, you know, I think you know when we, when they're the main show that they'll be on show. They'll be able to speak a bit more. We'll also get a sense of whether these issues have been addressed at all, and if there's been no sign that they have, that could be incredibly spicy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, yeah, in the next few rounds, and like I'm all for having a platform which is more difficult to drive. I think that's. Uh, you know that's needed. what yeah needed but um it shouldn't come at the cost of the racing product number one but also the enjoyment of the drivers because if the cars are shit to drive then like who's going to want to drive them exactly yeah if they want to dri- if they want to drive a car that's just shit to drive they'll find another series somewhere else exactly i mean there's plenty of like i mean i'm sure if shane didn't want to drive supercars there'd be about 50 million other you know race teams from rally to sports cars to you know uh touring oh. car, other touring car series i'm i'm would have been surprised if track house from nascar were to lining him up for their project 91 at some point this year oh yeah maybe i mean he has stated that he doesn't want to do any ovals um but like yeah that, that'd oh, be that'd be wild rockin's been huh Watkins Glen, maybe. Yeah, maybe. He could, could become the next Ambrose. Just be a road course specialist. Um, Newcastle. Uh, let's talk Newcastle. Uh, like, to wrap up the event. Uh, what do we feel about the track? It's had four, three years now of being the season finale. It's had a year now of being the season opener with these brand new spec of cars. How do we feel about how the track acts as a racing circuit. Uh, you know, obviously high drama in 2017 with the, the finale and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, how do we feel? What's the consensus between you and me? The track, honestly, the track is not good. Elaborate, please. It, it's too narrow, too tight. Cars aren't going anywhere near fast enough apart from up one row where the grass a tram track. It's... <laughs> Kind of like racing Monaco. Passing's difficult, and I'm just not a huge fan. I I I agree broadly with those statements. Um, the the thing that I find really concerning, and, and it's not just about like the racing product and the fact that like, as you said, the passing opportunities are really difficult. And really, it was only Red Bull and Chain on Sunday that made the race worth watching. Um. But to me, the access and the, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? The options for recovery, or maybe not the options for recovery. When, when, a, when a crash happens, it is very hard for it to unhappen. 
Um, and we saw that in a bunch of the support categories. Like Super 2, again, went peak Super 2 and just hit every single barrier under the sun. But like even the Aussie racing cars, there was that moment where we they said that it was going to be the last lap. They crossed the line, but they didn't. It wasn't the last lap. And then there was a big and crash, that- which took out like seven cars and they red flagged it. Like the there is not a lot of access, not a lot of room at Newcastle uh, even by street circuit standards. So if someone has an accident in front of you, you're basically just going to get wrapped up in it. Exactly. And we saw pretty much in every series, absolute anarchy. The only exception being uh, Touring Car Masters, which had a grand total of like nine cars. And five of them still managed to crash at some point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, honestly, unless there's some massive changes... With Nui. Like, it's I a cool... See how they can do it. It's a cool circuit and it's a cool location, but it doesn't produce good racing. And I think that, that the series has to be mm. focused on that part of it. Um, I'm not sure if you saw today, Chris, but there was an article posted uh, by the Newcastle Weekly um, on the oh, VX God. Supercar subreddit uh, talking about a mass-scale disapproval of Newcastle residents to the Newcastle 500. Um, uh, saying that it had, like, uh, basically just people who are living in Newcastle who don't want the race to exist, citing health impacts, uh, access, uh, economic downturn as well. Apparently some businesses were saying it, it cost more to have the race there for them than they got in turnover, so... Well, the problem with it is the race goes down where all the shops are. Yeah, it's in the CBD. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'm not sure any other, like, maybe Gold Coast is an exception, but, like, for for Adelaide, for example, it's the, the race isn't in the CBD. It's kind of CBD adjacent. It's in the parklands. Um, Townsville, does Townsville even have a CBD? It's like closing the main street of the, the country town, like... And even and even then, there's nothing on that street. Yeah. There's a school. It's because it's Boundary Road, right? It's the boundary of the town. Yeah. And um, the other thing you're blocking off is the train station, which no one, no one misses. Yeah. Because it's Townsville. No, if you are listening to us from Townsville, we are sorry. Um, but uh, oh, you are, if you are listening to us from Townsville, go to Cairns. It's better. <laughs> you have a real big hate motor for Townsville, and I'm so about it. I've been there. Was not a fan. Um, yeah. So, so you know, there is a not small amount of civic, un- not civic unrest, unrest about the uh, Newcastle 500 from people in Newcastle. With that in mind, uh, what happens? Well, is the contract up? I believe it is. So, yeah. Newcastle out maybe next year, and maybe we get back to New Zealand as a replacement. That would be good. But then you have the issue of the contract with the state government in New South Wales. And this is a whole other thing, because, like, why is supercars trying so hard to be buddy-buddy with New South Wales? Like, they tried to move a team there, which fell apart. And then moved away. They're trying to. They they sold like fifty events to Sydney Motorsport Park that no one cared about. Um, they've got the season opener now because they couldn't have the season closer. It's it's yeah. just sports washing. I mean, mate. I mean, this is a hellhole as well. But <laughs> no arguments here. I'll even agree with someone a Victorian <laughs> on that one. Um, I just I. I honestly don't get it. New South Wales doesn't have the motorsport pedigree that other states do either. Yes, they've got Eastern Creek or 
you know Sydney Roadsport Park. Whatever they call it. This, I mean, yeah, and it's Rose also Park, got Bathurst, but, you know. But like that's not that's not like Sydney. That's like, like regional New South Wales. That that doesn't count. <laughs> Bathurst is its own state. Exactly. Um, Sometimes I feel like they want to be. I mean, yeah. So what? So uh, do we think in 2024 there will be a Newcastle 500 to start the season? I'll be surprised. I kind of agree. I, th- I think it might potentially still be a race, but I don't think it'll start the season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, uh, because I think there's other races on street circuits that might go before Newcastle does. Ooh, okay. Oh, as in go ahead of the, in the cha- like earlier in the calendar. Okay. No, as in go onto the scrap heap. Oh, really? Oh, what, I what? just I have the sense of the I have the sense of the appetite for the Gold Coast isn't there at the moment. Huh. Interesting. I did not get that sense so, at all. Looking at last year. I got, I've just had that sense from other things in the past and being up there in the past. I mean, it's no IndyCar, so I get that. So I, I don't, And they have other events in, in the Gold Coast now. They've got other sporting teams that are making finally making headway. Like the Finns? You on the Finns? Oh, yeah, go the Finns. <laughs> Yuck. I'm um, just not so sure they need the... Supercars as much anymore. Well, I, I mean, I guess it's it's interesting that you're saying that because not to mention the track. I mean, the track isn't too bad. Uh, I actually don't mind the track, uh, but a lot, like a lot of the teams are based around the Gold Coast, and a lot of the media is based around the Gold Coast as well. And I think isn't Supercars HQ back in the Gold Coast, or are that still in Sydney? Because again, they're trying to make Sydney happen. I don't know where it is these days. It could be in bloody Vanuatu. I don't know. Supercars, if you're listening, stop trying to make Sydney happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so Newcastle, who knows? Australian Grand Prix. uh, Let's talk tyres. Last year we had tyres that exploded. This year we had tyres that didn't degrade at all. And they were supposed to degrade faster. They were supposed to degrade faster. Like what? Like what? It was very funny to see that, like, you basically didn't want to be on the hard tyre at all, which... Made the racing very kind of from a strategy standpoint boring and one dimensional. So like, why even have the pit stop? But that wasn't the worst part of the whole weekend as far as strategy goes. What was the worst part of the whole weekend as far as strategy goes, Chris? The first two races were declared wet because it drizzled ever so slightly before the start of the race, which means you don't have to change your tires to the other compound anymore. Well, I mean, only two teams in pit lane picked up on that, and guess where they finished. Uh, one, two. One, two, and three. And four, in fact. Uh, what it did do, yeah. though, is it punished the teams that started on the hard tyres because they had to swap to the softs anyway. Um, but yeah, that's not a new rule. That's not a new loophole. That's been in you know different tyre races, uh, different tyre compound races for a very long period of time. Yeah, but um, it doesn't work when your race is only six and a half thousand minutes long or seconds long. <laughs> Seconds long, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, not ideal. Um, honestly, it was kind of funny watching supercars get a bit of their own medicine when it came to the Australian Grand Prix. And I mean, funny, not in a ha-ha way, but in an ironic way. Because we're so used to having the supercars be the main show and all of the other supports, and I mean all of them, no matter if you're Super 2 or Aussie Racing Cars or whatever, get their time periods for their races squashed into these tiny little modicums of nothingness 
So that way, any delay of any section of anything that ever happens ever means that you're losing laps and you're losing, uh, you know, race time. Like, as I said, Super 2 has this meme about being peak Super 2 because they do like three racing laps and they spend the rest of the time under safety car. It was kind of ironic to see that happen to supercars, um, even yeah. if it did mean that we missed out on a lot of racing for it. It wasn't the Melbourne 400. It was like the Melbourne 2, 230. Yeah. Um, I I commented in the chat, like, it's so strange that this 200Ks of racing is within Bathurst. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, um, that's so dumb. Yeah. But I've got to say, the, the racing we did see was fantastic. The racing we did see was awesome. <laughs> Wish we yeah. saw more of it. The whole... And yeah... And yeah, I still don't think supercars was the best category of the day on the weekend. If you say F one was the best category, I swear. F two, F two. I did miss the F two race on the on the Saturday and the Sunday, so I can't comment. But it was bonkers. Bonkers. Okay, I might have to go rewatch that then. Uh, in between all the other sport we we're going to talk about, um, so it, it really interesting sort of spot for supercars at. The Australia Grand Prix. Of course, now with Formula 2 and Formula 3 coming over, that means that supercars moves even further down the ledger there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's going to be massive developments to the pit lane. Uh, Albert Park in the next two years, which will be a new building with a concrete slab where supercars currently reside are. Yeah. So uh, interesting little crossroads here. Now, first question I want to pose to you. Does... The Australian Grand Prix needs supercars. Yes. Does supercars need the Australian Grand Prix? Yes. Okay. And I'll, and I'll tell you why in a second. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear your viewpoint first. Of course, the Australian Grand Prix weekend is a bit of a unique one in the terms of the Worldwide Grand Prix uh, system because like, we have Australian support categories. This is another cookie-cutter F1 event in the middle of you know the Middle East or something where they just have the same three support categories for the five fans that turn up. This is like Australia's, you know, premier motorsport event that isn't Bathurst. Um, it It's a great opportunity for local series, particularly supercars, to show, to advertise themselves to a new set of fans who might only be interested in F1 and like an international set of fans as well. Like, you know, something that the the activation from the Formula One media side of it is that the drivers who go for a ride in these supercars or in this case, the World Series, like the World Feed commentator, David Croft, the fact that they want to be (laughs) in these cars and to enjoy them speaks volumes for how well rated they are around the world. So it's important for supercars to be on the bill. It's just they have to actually be respected in that respect in that instance like you know there's there's mm-hmm. so much time in an f1 weekend like there's so much time they're the, particularly you, here because australia is the only f1 weekend which goes over four days yeah exactly like it's a like and it's the and you know this is a, an event like they fight all the way around the world to try and get an f1 weekend over four days and it's it's here as standard and always has been four days here so, like, there is so much time to fit in four 100-kilometer races, even if you don't do pit stops because you can't use the pit lane because you get squeezed out of the pit lane because F2 is going to be there. Even if you don't want to, like, it, it's it's just... I don't understand why they... And it's an obsession. I get it's an obsession for TV, 
that they want to minimize the amount of dead time that they have by squeezing everything on top of each other. Like, cool, that's fine. People will watch dead time. Like, there was one of my favorite parts of the entire season last year was listening to Krause and Chad Nalon do basically a motorsport lounge chat while trying to wait for the, the, the Bathurst shootout, whether or not that was going to go ahead or not. That was one of, like, just the fact that they were so entertaining, just talking about, yes. about every, like, and yeah, they interspersed it with interviews in the pit lane, but like, they just had, you know, images of shit up on the hill and they were just chatting like it's great it's great entertainment just doing that you don't need to have sessions on top of each other but there's an obsession to do that i I don't understand why because what happens is that the racing product suffers as soon as there's any bumps Mm. and there were so many bumps yeah so 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 many bumps like i think every race series had a red flag affected race yeah either causing it or being affected by the series previous causing it I don't know what the solution is, but supercars needs to stay there. I don't want to suggest they don't race on Sunday. Yeah. But that seems to me like an easy fix. Uh, I don't like that. That's also a very hard... Yeah, it's also a very hard fix, and I don't think it'll go down well with the 400,000 spectators. Well, because that's the thing. That's that's the eyes that you want, right? You want the Sunday Mm. crowd to have a look at supercars. Yeah. Maybe you could race Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. I I'm not sure that the Thursday race was necessary or even you know all that good not good good isn't the right word. Um, it's the, first... the longest race of the four though. Huh? It was the longest race of the four. Well, I mean, yeah, because it was the only time they actually hadn't scheduled to have it. I don't know. It's the the, the addition of F two and F three complicates things a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's go. Let's go multi class. <laughs> What, supercars F2, and Carrera Cup? Uh, I was going to say F2, F3 supercars. Oh, no. <laughs> Yuck. Um, supercars, Carrera Cup would work. I mean, yeah, it would be close. Carrera Cup might actually be uh, be quicker than the supercar in the right hands. True. Um, a few a few ideas that Roland Dane came up with in his article uh, on Speed Cafe. Um, one, get rid of the formation light. So just go straight out. Uh, from the pit lane onto the grid and start, which you know doesn't... that could work because we don't we don't warm tires. Yeah. Um. And secondly, just use a progressive grid. Don't have four separate qualifying sessions. That wasn't the biggest issue, I don't think. I mean, that, I mean, it's still it's still a non-zero amount of qualif like uh, like a time that you've got to do separate qualifyings for. But eh. maybe, maybe you have one one half hour session. Your best four laps count. They did that, didn't they? Do that the. Uh, Yas Marina once? Uh, but yeah, it was two. It's the two two sessions, two, uh, two, two races. So extend, yeah. extend that out to four. You got half an hour to see your four best times. I, I have a feeling that when they did that at Yas Marina, it was the same three drivers. I'm pretty sure it was Winkup, Davison, Van Gisbergen, who qualified one, two, three on all three races. So they're to- yeah, even though they all did their laps in the same, like all did all of their qualifying in the same session. Yeah. I've, I've, I have a feeling that was the stat. Um, I don't mind that. Um, I'm going to pitch out another idea here. Don't have it for points. But then you're going to have the issue of teams going, but our drivers are too dumb to drive sensibly. They tear up their machines. I mean, it wasn't an issue before. Yeah, but, but they're a lot more savvy now about spending money. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't think that's the solution. It's, it is in a weird spot, though, because it's two weeks after Newcastle, which was, uh, you know, we had, like, a car destroyed at Newcastle, and it's, you know, it's just a very odd turnaround to try and squeeze in this frantic, complete mess of an event, which, yeah, pays more points than Bathurst, which is so dumb. I have one other idea. Yeah? 10-day weekend. 10-day weekend? Yep. So you have your supercars Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then you bump into Formula cars. Oh no! <laughs> I don't think uh, that that's one of your more harebrained ideas, and I don't think it's going to work. I like because there's been talk, but you could even you know maybe have a Monday race for something else. I uh, I I don't I don't think that works from a broadcast perspective. I mean, you wouldn't be racing... When I say 10-day weekend, it's like back-to-back weekends, essentially. Yeah, but, like, again, you're not going to get people who are going to come to watch the F1 also going to watch the supercars a week earlier. One ticket gets you both. But even then... Even then... I'd go. Yeah. If it was in the school holidays, I'd go. (laughs) Then you need marshals for two weekends as well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't uh, think the undersubscriber marshals. Look, we don't get paid enough to solve this problem. This is true. We don't get paid anything, in fact. In fact, if you'd like to sponsor our podcast, we are open to marketing opportunities. So please uh, either get in contact with me on Twitter or send me an email at... What is our email address? Yes. <laughs> address? address? Address cash runners to I am severely screwed up in the head. Wow, rude. Um... <laughs> What are we even talking about? Uh, we're going to skip the entire rest of the Australian Grand Prix weekend because nothing else important happened. We don't want to talk about it. Um, next race for Supercars is in Wanneroo. We'll round back to that at the end of the podcast. But I think that'll be a good spot to see about a bit more sport uh, Supercar action. I think we'll, we'll get a bit better read of where everything's at uh, at Wanneroo. Uh, next, Chris, uh, what other sport were we watching in the month of March? What did you watch in March? Well, there's been an absolute glut of cricket over the last month. Yeah, how good. International, Indian-based, and it's just been fantastic viewing. Uh, obviously, I've been watching the New Zealand Sri Lanka series, which has been awesome viewing, even if the games aren't super competitive at times. At times. Um, uh, the test match. Oh yeah. my god, the test match. So you know how we talked about New Zealand beating England by like the barest of margins? It happened again. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly different. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily beating them by the barest of margins, it was winning by the barest of margins. Yeah. So very very small difference. It's a, a very small but a not insignificant difference. So yeah, in cricket, in test match cricket, there's four results, right? There's you can win a game, you can lose a game, you can draw a game which is when neither team has won the game and the t- and the time runs out or you can tie a game which is where both teams lose close their innings on the same score um so and there's the, been three of those there's three i thought there was only two oh two, oh, two sorry yeah two yeah, there's, almost so there's, three there's been two tied games there's been two games that have been won by one run which was and one of them was the new zealand england game earlier um, but this was a bit different. So, Chris, walk us through what happened. So, last day of the test in Christchurch, uh, there had been a little bit of weather affecting the affecting the uh, 
game to that point. So we come into the last day. New Zealand's requiring... That's absolutely right. Yeah, so New Zealand started the, was going to start the last day, 28 for 1. They were chasing... What were we chasing for that? 285. We were 285. So 28 for 1. We've, we've gone to the, the fifth day. It's raining. It rains all, all the way through to lunch. Continues raining after lunch. We finally get on field. Basically leaving, I think it was 50 overs uh, to get the target. It was uh, 63 overs. Oh, no, yeah, 53, 53 overs. 53 overs. 53, 53 overs on the day to get the target. And that's a that's a pretty tight chase. Uh, that's, a, that's a really tight chase. Because what you needed, what, two, basically 250 and 50 overs, which is, you know, not sold on a on a one-day game for, as a target. Yeah, they're not a test match. Mm. So we... We, New Zealand... Just have started Chris, off. Chris, just admit it. Yeah. It's we. <laughs> you, you're you're, you're definitely biased in this situation. Just admit it. <laughs> okay, fine. So we've come out uh, losing our second wicket at fifty. Tom Latham gets out for pretty rubbish, or pretty great delivery actually. But it was a pretty uh, rubbish cut shot. Uh, Kane Williams is out there. And him and Daryl Mitchell basically put us in a position to win that game. Daryl Mitchell made 81 before being bowled of 86 delivery, so he's run a pretty much a runner ball. Meanwhile, Kane Williams is at the other end, being the anchor on his way to a fine century. But then the wheels start falling off. Yeah. So After we lose Daryl Mitchell, we lose Tom Blundell. So that's five down for two for the five down. Michael Braceway, six down for two sixty six. Tim Southey, seven down for two seventy three. And this is where we start to get a bit squeaky bum time because there's only a couple of left over couple of overs left in the day. Yeah, so just just to round back a little bit, when Bracewell uh, sorry, when Daryl Mitchell got out, there were eight overs left in the game. So that's forty eight mm-hmm. balls. Uh New Zealand still needs to get 50, 43 runs. So 48 balls, 43 runs, and they had six, six wickets in hand. So that's, that's... It should be comfortable. Well, it, comfortable. It's comfortable if you're playing limited overs, but test match is different. And yeah, as you said, the wheels started to come off and it got it got pretty pretty damn tight. So we uh, end up losing Bracewell, Southey, and Henry in pretty quick succession. And we go into the last over of the day requiring, so eight runs from the final over. First, Williamson's still at the crease at this point. He's got himself a century. He's playing well, incredibly well. First ball, he's managed to swipe it along the ground. Kit is long on. They've made one run. He's slipped coming back for the second. And that's put the non-recognized Batman on strike, Matt Henry. So just just quickly, the, diff- the difference between Kane Williamson, who's one of the big four in uh, test batting at the moment, and like you know, up with the likes of New Zealand's probably arguably best batsman of all time, and the number eight who can maybe hold a bat sometimes is quite large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
So he's on strike facing the second ball of the over. Gets an absolutely atrocious delivery, which he manages to get down to long off one run. Then there's a run out. Uh, going for a second run that was just absolutely not there. So Matt Henry gets run out. Thankfully, Matt Henry was run out, not Kane Williamson. If Williamson had been run out, we would have been screwed. Yeah. So that leaves five of three deliveries. Kane Williamson's managed to get a four off the next delivery. Big, big slash so for the up. covers. That was amazing. Yep. That was an amazing shot. A perfect time, too. The second last ball should have ended the match. It was an absolutely massive bouncer that probably went over two Kenny Williamsons. And it was not called wide. And was not called a wide. So, we get to the <laughs> yeah. last ball of the game. The scores are tied. The floodlights are turned on. Yeah. The, the floodlights s- have turned on. The scores are tied. So, you know, there's... New Zealand can't lose. Uh, Sri Lanka can't win. And because there's only... There was two wickets left at this point. So, uh... Uh, New Zealand couldn't be bowled out so it couldn't be a tie so the only results left on the table were either New Zealand gets a run and they win or New Zealand doesn't get a run and it's a draw with the scores tied Yeah, can have lost their chance to get the last three wickets by this point yeah so the last ball absolute chaos Kalenism's gone to pull it missed Keeper's got the ball. This so, and at that point, the batsman has gone right. We've got to run no matter what here. Keeper's throwing the ball to the bowler, and the bowler's throwing the stumps down at the nice striker's end. And they go to the replay. Kane Williamson slides his bat and is barely in, but it's enough to win another game for New Zealand. It was incredible. It was. Such theatre. I love live sport. Mm. And some of the photos that come out of it, they're just people dive, like the bowlers diving, the throw, Williams is diving, the keeper's already on the ground. Matt Henry's at the other end going, oh my God, please something happen. Well, and it was Neil Wagner as well who came out and he would, he like, he had torn his hamstring <laughs> that day. Yes, I'm going to mention that, yes. And so, <laughs> so he's, he's hobble sprinted his way through for a single. To to help win win the game, yeah, which is awesome. Uh, so that's so second test match in two weeks to give me absolutely heart tr- tremors. How good? How good's the Since cricket? That, oh, how good is cricket? Since that, so New Zealand Sri Lanka engaged in one dayers and now T twenties, and those games have gone win. Abandoned in Christchurch. New Zealand win. So New Zealand won the one-day series 2-0. Yep. Then the T20s have come. Sri Lanka won the first T20 at Auckland. The second T20 in Dunedin, New Zealand absolutely dominated. One with nine, one by nine wickets. Hot damn. That first match, by the way, went to a super over. Oh, nice. So a super more, over was when it's tied. A super over is basically extra time. Which means the series, the T20 series, comes down to the last match, which is being played in Queenstown. Now, a bit of trivia for you. Yeah? Can you remember the last men's game to be played at Queenstown? Uh, was that the one where um, New Zealand won by one run? 
Ah, uh, complete opposite. Oh, no. Uh, is this where Colin... No, not Colin Monroe. Uh, no, Corey Anderson hit like a... Corey... <laughs> is that his name? Yeah, Corey Anderson, Jesse Ryder went nuts. Yeah, this is where like oh, no. Anderson hit like 100 off of 14 balls or something stupid, right? Yeah, so <laughs> Corey Anderson, 131 off 47. Which, for those playing along at home, is a lot of runs for not a lot of balls. <laughs> yes. And we should mention this was this was a 21 over match. It was meant to be a 50 over match, reduced at 21 overs. So Corey Anderson, 131 of 47. Jesse Ryder, 104 off 51. Brendan McCullum, 34 off 11. And that's not even the most impressive innings of the day. Oh my gosh. New Zealand's total after 21 overs, 283 for four. Well, A run rate of 13.3. That's ridiculous. Uh, that was the, the fastest one-day international century for a long time, wasn't it, for Corey Anderson? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, West Indies put on 124 in the 21 overs, but they were never a chance. Never a chance. No way. Cool. So we're expecting a, a few runs then. It's also probably the most spectacular ground to play cricket at on this side of the world. Excuse me. Adelaide Oval exists. Thank you. Yeah, but do, but do you have the remarkables... And your run-ups and view? Uh, no, we just have some figs and a scoreboard. Yeah, when you when you end names at the remarkables in the coronet peak end. <laughs> okay, that's actually pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so cricket fun times in New Zealand. I I love I, I love New Zealand cricket. It's like the fucking little underdog. Yes. Uh, we should talk about Australian cricket because that's going through some times at the moment. We'll talk about Australian cricket in a sec, maybe. Oh, yes. What I do want to talk about, though, is the Women's Premier League, the the uh, the Indian-based T20 competition that finally got underway. Um, it was a really, really cool tournament. It was a double round robin uh, with a, like a semi-final and a final. Um, I think the best teams got into the finals, um, which I don't think anyone will disagree with. The teams that were most insistent mm-hmm. got into the finals, which is unsurprising. And then the the, the final was between the two best teams. Um, and it was uh, the Mumbai Indian women's team that or that won, which was, uh, I thought, a little unexpected um, considering the, the lineups of the two teams. But really, it was very well done by, um, uh, by Hayley Matthews, uh, who took home... Woman of the Tournament honours for her leading wicket-taking and also uh, she got on the board with the runs as well. I think she was the fifth highest run scorer of the tournament, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and yeah, so well done to the, the Mumbai Indian women's team. Um, commiserations to the Delhi Capitals and the Australian captain Meg Lanning, who took home the uh, the largest run scorer of the tournament. Um, but I thought it was just really high-quality cricket, really high, consistently high-quality women's cricket for a good month. And like, I was very impressed with all the games I got to watch. Well, well, the games the games that I got to see, were, I didn't get to see that many, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But the games I saw were great value, great fun, and, and yeah, it was, it was like every single game had a standout performance in it somewhere. Um, what were your performances? What anything that you picked up that you were really surprised by or really impressed you? Um, honestly, just the whole concept of the tournament, like everything went off brilliantly. Yeah, that... uh, 
basically that's what I can say. Yeah. In- the crowd in- got behind it too. Incredibly well attended as well, which certainly yeah. helped. Yeah, and it's a great sign for women's cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Part of the world, which I think is taking a while to pick up. Yeah, I, I think abs- absolutely right. The the fact that I think we made mention on the last episode that some of these contracts were going for like the equivalent of half a million dollars Australian is is kind of nuts. Um, and it's something that I I picked up on that will change in time, but as, as a starting point is probably unsurprising. Um, the the best performers of the tournament were very much the international players coming in. So, you know, if you look at the the top run scorers, you had Meg Lanning from Australia, Nat Sivabrunt from England, Talia McGrath from Australia, Harmanpreet Kaur from India. So she was the top Indian run scorer. Um, but then you had Hayley Matthews from the West Indies, Sophie Devine from New Zealand, Elise Perry from Australia, Alyssa Healy from Australia. So a, a lot a lot carried by the internationals there. And then in the, uh, the wickets as well, Hayley Matthews, Sophie Eccleston from England, um, Izzy Wong, who picked up a hat-trick, the first hat-trick of the Women's Premier League, which is pretty cool. Um, Amelia Kerr from your neck of the woods, Chris, uh, with a stunning performance with 15 wickets. Um, yes, uh, Kim Garth. Kim Garth, what, what a what a performance from her. She's kind of come out of nowhere and is, you know... I was going to say, there's a name I don't re- readily recognise. Well, she's, she's Australian, but she's actually Irish. Um, but she's been playing for the Melbourne Stars in Victorian cricket and, yeah, got picked up as a, you know, backup fast bowling option and has then all of a sudden become a world beater, which is incredible. Oh, not a bad way to make your name. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she she outperformed Ash Gardner, who was the highest price the highest priced player. So, I mean, not a, not a bad not a bad shot. Hey, no, it's not bad at all. Um, so overall, great great tournament. Uh, good good foundation for next year, and maybe yeah, some expansion. Who a, knows? A great starting point for for women's cricket in India. Um, and I want to say my favorite performance of the tournament is a oh, it's a fifty fifty toss up between. Uh, Talia McGrath and Grace Harris just absolutely destroying uh, a poor unfortunate team who I can't remember but they just came out together and I think McGrath put on 90 not out and Grace Harris put on like 70 not out they just dismantled this poor uh, bowling lineup Um, and then uh, also Sophie Devine uh, who got 99 off of how many balls was this? It was 99 Uh. off of 36 balls Which for a woman's game is just insanity. She hit a six into the second tier of the stadium. Like men, yeah, men struggle with that. It was ridiculous. Striking at two hundred and seventy-five runs per hundred yeah, balls. This was the over. Was this the over that she struck twenty-four off Ash Gardner? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Incredible. That was a phenomenal effort. Incredible. Ash Gardner too. Yeah. Who's no who's no slouch? As we said, highest price player of the tournament. Yeah, it was it was just kind of nuts. Uh, so yeah, it was cool to see that. Uh, no century uh, in the in the tournament though, so that that offer is still up for grabs for next year. Um, but yeah, it, I I had a lot of fun watching high quality women's cricket. It's a good time. Yeah. Uh, we've already been talking for over an hour, uh, give or take the time it took us to start. So we do need to to whip through the next little bit. Uh. I'll just quickly say uh, the Biathlon World Championship wrapped up, which was really, really cool, um, uh, with the events in Östersund in Sweden and uh, Oslo, Holmenkollen in Norway. Um, 
a really big changing of the guard in the women's tour for the biathlon at the moment with i think it was five retirements after the last race including oh wow yeah including like two women who had won the world cup like the world championships uh before um both in both norwegians both retiring in their home crowd which is pretty cool um one of the most consistent French performers, one of the most consistent Finnish report of performers, and the top German athlete, like all retired at the same day. So it'll be a big swing of new new talent up the front of the women's field. Um, but on the flip side, the men's field had something quite astonishing happened, which made it for the most boring season I've watched. Uh, <laughs> and this is a, this is a conversation that we're going to have to have at some point. Um, Johannes Tingesberg, uh, who's the force of biathlon at the moment. Uh, he won, I think it was 19 of the 22 individual races he competed in throughout the season. Good God. And this, that's over multiple disciplines, multiple distances. Yeah. So that's that's the sprint pursuit, individual uh, and mass start. Uh, and yeah, he won 19 events. That is ridiculous. That's that's like that's like Shane Van Gisbergen level last year in the supercars. Yeah, yeah. We've got to talk about dominance in sport because I actually I I have ideas for a YouTube series on this, but it requires much more time than I have to put into it now. But God, it gets you goat sometimes just how dominant some people are. But like Chris, okay, twenty seconds. Why is dom? Pardon me. Why is dominance boring? It's boring because. The whole joy of watching sports sometimes is the unexpected. If you turn on an event and go, oh, yeah, I know this person's going to win, this person's going to come second, this person's going to come third, where's the fun in that? I mean, in motorsport, you can understand it somewhat because, okay, a car might have a wheel fall off and that makes things interesting. <laughs> you don't get this, you really get that in a biathlon. No, not not often. Um, it was It was just kind of ridiculous, these sort of positions that – Johannes Tingesbo would, would win from like he'd miss three targets in an individual race and still win and like the the penalty for missing in the individual because that's meant to be like the the slow traditional sort of event uh is like you you get an, an immediate minute added to your time and he'd still like overcome three minutes just by skiing faster than everyone else it's ridiculous insane yeah We'll talk about uh, we'll we might talk about that a little bit more in a different context later on in the year. Um, but yeah, biathlon is cool and fun. <laughs> It'll be very interesting next year with cool. a bunch of new faces. Um, Chris, what else did you watch in the month of April? Oh, sorry, in uh, March, one thing rather. I've been one thing I've been watching in March and is going to continue into April a bit. The Fairbank T Twenty. Do you know about this? I have seen and heard rumblings about it. What it's it's a it's an invitational tournament in Hong Kong. Is that correct? Yeah. So the fair fair break T twenty. It's uh it's actually designed. It's sanctioned by the ICC, run by some people in Australia and overseas. So like Jeff Lawson, um, I forget his musical blank now. Alex Blackwell. Alex Blackwell. Thank you. Yep. Yes, former Australian involved in it as well. Hmm. Um. It's designed to promote the cause of women's sport and equal pay and equal representation, not just from the cricketing nations, but from a more global point of view. So this tournament, yes, you have your players from your cricketing nations who are over there. So people like Nic- Nicola Carey, Jess Kerr, Ellie Johnston, Katie Mack, I saw, um, um, Susie, Susie Bates. Bates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you also have people from less traditional cricket nations. So... 
Papua New Guinea, Netherlands, Ireland, Scotland, USA. And then from nations where you just think, you guys have a cricket oval? Like Brazil, Germany, Austria. What? Thailand. Um, 26 nations represented in this tournament. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. Some of the crickets, okay, yeah, some of the crickets not quite the level of the WPL, for example, but it's certainly not bad. I, I'm, I'm into that. I might try and check out more of it. I did see mm. uh, a, a friend of mine uh, did clue me into the fact that uh, it was Dino Van Niekerk, who used to be the South African uh, T20 captain. It was her first game for a long time after a, a dreadful run of injuries. And like, Second ball, she got bowled by her wife, Marazan Cap, who was on the other team. I'm like, oh, that's... <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah, that's a little awkward. That's a little awkward. Um, what's also cool about this is a couple of the teams, one of the teams is nominally based from the south coast of New South Wales. Um, so they're backed by local sponsors from, their, from that region. Another team is backed by the Barmy Army. Yeah, the team is literally called the Barmy Army Women's. Yeah. That's hilarious. Which is great. Uh, tournament goes for another week. Um, and next year, they'll be taking it into the US of A. Cool. Wow, that's really unexpected. Mm. So keep an eye out on that. I think they'll be watching. Yes, the footy codes are starting. or uh, well, are underway, so I'll be keeping a keen eye on all of those. Uh, and then that's pretty much gearing up to maybe watch some soccer. Because EPL is nearing the business end. Oh, thank God we got a good result this morning because, gosh, if we didn't get a good result this morning, I would have been sad. This is United, by the way, Manchester yeah. United. Yeah. Unfortunately, the team that I'm supporting and going to watch in a couple of months is not having such a good result. Bottom of the table for Southampton. <laughs> Which means the last game against Liverpool that I'm watching from a VIP box now could be a little macabre. It'd probably just be a party. They'll probably already be, re- be relegated by then. Well, given that given I'm playing a game of soccer on the field the following day, I hope not. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. It's cool that you're heading over there to do to do that. Yeah, Chris, do you know how to kick a soccer ball properly? Uh, it's the it's the long pointy one, right? Oh no! Oh no! Uh, good luck with that. Um, also, the Masters are coming up in April. Yes, they are coming up this weekend. Actually, cool. First. First round's about to tee off in an hour's time of recording. So first round would have been played by the time this gets uploaded. Big intrigue this year is, of course, the live golfers. Yes, I heard that. This is the, the this is like the, the cart IndyCar split, but for golf, right? Yeah, the guys who have just, let's be honest, stuff their morals give me money. Oh, uh, yeah, you say that. But <laughs> also, I think Adelaide is trying to host a live golf tournament, which makes me kind they of... They are hosting it. Yeah. Yes, they are. I'm um, not... Not a fan of that. Because just give us, a, is, give us a 20 second TLDR and the schism. So basically, Saudi Arabian, through this government, have set up a, uh, a sport washing version of golf, invited some of the best players in the world with absolute truckloads of money to say, hey, come play three rounds of golf every few weeks as opposed to every week on the US tour. Get paid a crap load for it and we'll look after you. So some of the big names have gone over, including Cam Smith, most recent British Open winner, Brian DeChambeau, the guy who can hit it 20 kilometres off the tee, 
Um, a few other big names as well, Phil Mickelson, have gone over there, basically chasing money, and as a result, they were banned from playing in the US tournaments, on the US tour. However, they're allowed to play the majors, which is why they're allowed back at the Masters. Those who were invited anyway. Yeah, right. So now we've got the schism of, is there going to be animosity? Is there going to be some form of protest? Is there going to be 18 live golfers surrounding the green if one of their players happens to win it? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's complicated, of course, because like as much as you want to say, like, oh, these people are selling out their morals, like, every person has a price. Like, every person yeah. has a price. And in, in Cam space, it was something like 500 million. Yeah, like five hundred million dollars. Are you saying you wouldn't you wouldn't play a different tournament for that much money? It's yeah, it's it's hard. Yes, yeah, it, yeah. But yeah, but anyway, I love the Masters. It's the one golf tournament I actually enjoy watching the hell out of, and it's just some, done so differently. And as someone at my work said, the Masters app is probably the best sporting app around, or really? best app in general. Huh. Because the because the Masters control their own TV broadcasting deal, what they do is you can say, all right, I want to follow this player, this player, this player. Every shot they play in real time, you'll get the video of that on your app. That's pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> Along with the fact that there's just no sponsorship, it's just incredibly pretty. It's awesome fun. That's cool. That's really, really cool. If I cared about golf, I would say that's a good time. <laughs> nice. Golf's not really You should care about this. Uh, I guess, but also I there's there's cycling to watch, Chris. Oh yeah, that's something about a Paris Roubaix. Yeah, the 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 Paris Roubaix this weekend. My favorite one day bike race. And I I think a lot of people will be the same. We just had like uh the one of the other monuments uh in in classic cycling the last weekend uh the Ronde van Vlaarder and the the Tour of Flanders which was like just hectic through like one of the I think it's one of the fastest uh editions in like in its like 120 year history um normally like it's a it's 260k race which is massive and normally like the early breakaway gets established within the first you know 20 to 30 kilometers of racing the early breakaway took like over 100 kilometers to actually establish which means that these guys were racing at like god yeah these guys were racing at like 50 to 60 kilometers per hour for two hours before like the 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 pace of the race eased up so it was just gonna need to bleep this but that and, and like these aren't kind roads either. This is like very bad roads in the Flanders region of Belgium, uh, with cobblestones and everything. So like gross, like really, really, a really, really hard time. Um, uh, one of the favourites, uh, Matteo van der Poel, got stuck behind a split in the peloton. Had to use a bunch of his teammates to to get through that. Then once the break finally got established, um, uh, the, the the three favourites uh, rode rode across the gap together. It was. Uh, Tade Pogacar, Wout van Aert, and Matteo van der Poel together. It's like like the trifecta of like the, the, the trident of cycling at the moment. Um, so like everyone was swooning over that. Um, but like my man of the match has to go to Matteo Trenton, who's the teammate of of Tade Pogacar. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 group of three, uh, Pogacar, van Aert, and Tre- uh, and uh, van der Poel, uh, they dropped Wout van Aert, who's like one of the strongest riders in the world at the moment. Uh, they dropped him about a K out from catching the front break. Um, and then once uh, Pogacar and uh, 
Vanderpol got to the front break, uh, Trenton, who's uh, Pogacar's teammate, just like he was in that front group and he just burnt himself. He just went as hard as he could for the next, you know, 15 Ks to make sure that Wout Van Aert couldn't get back onto the tail of that group. And yeah, like Van Aert oh, wow. never did. Yeah. And Pogacar was able to attack up the next climb and he ran away and won the race. So yeah. Cycling is weird. That's that crazy. It's, yeah. Cycling is weird that it's a, it's a, it's very much a team sport that gets scored individually. Um, so man of the match, Matteo sounds Trenton. Like, sounds like an F1 sport. Oh yeah. Well, Let's not talk about yeah, that. But no, uh, but no, um, Paris Roubaix always a fantastic race. Paris Roubaix um, is my favorite, and like we oh. get we get a bit like excited about like traditionalism in sport when it comes to motorsport. Nah, cycling does it at a whole other level. Like these are they're racing yeah. the Paris Roubaix. It's called the Hell of the North. It's the Queen of the Classics, and they they've been running this race since how long? The first edition was in. 1896. And some of the cobbles probably go back to 1896. Further than that, one of the, the most famous cobble section, the, um, the, the Trench of Arenberg, uh, which has a really, really fancy Belgian name, which I, I can't pronounce properly because, of course, not. Um, the the uh, Trouré de Arenberg, um, it's, it's actually a road, a cobblestone road that goes through the Arenberg Forest. Uh, two uh, two and a half kilometers of cobbles that were laid in the time of Napoleon One. So that's so that's like before I was born. Early eighteen hundreds. We're talking here. That's, that's insane. Yeah, and they're and they're racing on this, and that's like one of the the like the the hardest parts of the course. And then of course you get you get through that you you know you get you get through that, and you've got over a hundred kilometers of racing still to go. So it's amazing. Um. But, yeah, and then make you finish in a velodrome just cause. I, I think that's really cool. It adds a bit of a fair bit of spectacle that they finish in the open velodrome. Yeah. Um, and my yeah. favorite, my favorite part about Paris Roubaix through the whole thing is that the the trophy, uh, if you win the Paris Roubaix, uh, is a big f- off cobblestone. <laughs> that's what you get. Yeah. You get a big, you, you get a big you rock. To, but you, which after two hundred and fifty k's of riding, do you really want to lift that? it's 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 pretty hilarious but it's it's really really cool it's like as i said for for all that motorsport does with tradition and with history and all that sort of stuff like cycling takes it to a whole nother level and this race is like the paris-roubaix is beautiful in its brutality it's the only way i can put yes. it um and that's on that's on sunday uh and the second edition of the women's race is on saturday so that'll be really really cool as well oh cool yeah, I'm glad to see women's cycling as well getting another boost. Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's good that we're seeing uh, women's uh, ed- like edition of classics matching the men's race, and slowly we'll start mm. to see editions of Grand Tours matching the men's race, which I think is is really important. That's something that we haven't yeah. really seen I'd, in women's cycling yet. I don't think we'll see 21 day female Tour de France. No, not quite. Yeah, but even like a, still, even like a week long will be really really good. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm. Uh, we should talk about the tour next next edition because it's a big one this year. Yes, we will. We'll uh, probably as our like July preview because that'll be that'll mm. tie in really nicely. Um, uh, yeah. So this month, month of April, uh, of course, the Indian Premier League cricket is on. I'm not really keeping track of that because it's it's too much cricket even for me. Rip Kane Williamson. 
Oh yeah, bloody Rip Kano. Hey, how's that? The Gujarat Giants—they have their their captain do their knee in both the women's and the men's on the first game. Um, did you see that he's going to be out for the ODI, ODI World Cup as well because he needs a re- reconstruction? Oh god, I never was. I, I was hoping it wasn't that bad. It was. But... It was pretty bad. I'm sorry to say. Okay, I was hoping we avoided the ACL. Yeah, I, I, I'm 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 real sorry, Chris, but it looks like you're going to miss out on Kano for the World Cup. Okay, we'll just have to break everyone else's knees. <laughs> we'll go. For, we'll go full Tonya Harding. Oh, let's not do that. Um, uh, we also have Wanneroo Supercars Wanneroo this month. Um, I think, as I said, that'll be a good marker for where Gen Three is actually at because it will be like an actual track that's not like Newcastle or the Grand Prix. And yeah, and the Premier League keeps going on, uh, FA Cup and Champions League and all that sort of fun stuff. Um. Yeah, I don't really know what else what else we're going to be watching. April's a bit of a slow month. Oh, April's a slow month, but all the, everything's sort of underway. So like all the footy codes down here, all four of them. Oh, yeah. A-League's getting close to, it, close to the end. Um, the, the A-League. Remember that game that got canned? Yes. Um, they finished that last night. Oh really? The the Melbourne Derby. So this is a big this is a big controversy in Australia. Uh, a a bunch of a bunch of hooligans effectively stormed the pitch and threw a flare at the goalkeeper for one of the teams. It was quite shit. Um, but yeah, so they finished. It did, was there any other controversy in the rest of the game? No, they all uh, got through with the end. And the team the team that did the that didn't do the offending won the match. So that's they good. They might as well have just. I might as well just not play. Because screw Melbourne victory. There. And like, of course, we have that, I have that big rivalry with Melbourne victory as a Adelaide United supporter. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the context for that. Uh, yeah, I think that's the end. I think that's the end. This has been a weird episode. We've gone all over the place. We have gone all over the place. There's been a lot of sport. There was, and, there was, and there was a little bit of cooking with Kiwi in there too. And cooking with Phoebe. Okay, uh, we shall see you at the end of the month of April to talk about more supercars and probably some other sport that comes up along that time. Um, in, the, in the meantime, uh, enjoy your motorsport. Uh, there's plenty of motorsport to be watching. Uh, there's plenty of other sport to be watching. Uh, Chris, enjoy your month. Yes, you too, mate. And as always, uh, have fun. See you next time. Thank you very much. This has been From the Grandstands. Goodbye. Goodbye.